Welcome to the Argus Media Inside Fertilizer Analytics Podcast, the latest episode. So we know that commodity markets are rallying uh, and certainly fertilizer markets are no exception. Today we'll be discussing the potash market where prices have continued to increase uh, even this week, but certainly in the last few weeks. Um, and since the last time we discussed potash on this podcast uh, a month, a uh, quarter ago, uh, lots to discuss on pricing, but also there's some potential disruption in political events that could be happening related to sanctions to discuss too. So it's going to be a very full agenda. So let's get straight into it. First introductions. Uh, I am Tim Chains, VP of Fertilizers here at Argus. And today I'm very glad to be joined by Ewan Thompson, who's editor of our Potash Market Report, runs our Potash desk. And David Riley is our lead Potash analyst in our consulting team. So welcome to you both. Are you ready for some lively Potash discussions? Always, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to get into it, Tim. Great. I'm glad to have you both on because it's always great. Good to have a combination of um, the, uh, you know, the the current market situation and some forward-looking assessments that, uh, that that you're doing, each of you doing in your own areas. So let's start with, I think, the biggest issue in the potash market currently. Uh, there's been rumblings of possible sanctions on Belarus from the EU and the US, uh, EU and the US after the arrest of the, the journalist Roman Protasevich, his flight was diverted from Vilnius to Minsk and he was him and his girlfriend were taken into custody. Um, Belarus is one of the, the major exporters uh, of potash to global markets. So what could the impact of this be on the on the Belarusian potash industry, Ewan? Yeah, I'll start with the easy ones, Tim. Um, <laughs> yeah, this guy's great. In. The... There are a lot of options on the table at the moment, and uh, no firm decisions have been made yet. But given the comments from EU leaders, we're working on the assumption that there will be an escalation of current sanctions to include state-run companies. Now, Belarusgali is a state-run company, but the EU and the US will have to consider the various impacts of sanctioning the single biggest potash producer in the world very carefully. The European Council and uh, the US State Department will continue to discuss details of a response. But until we see those details, it's very hard to pinpoint a single direction that this could take the potash market in. David and I have had a, a look at some possible outcomes. And it would seem likely that sanctioning Belarus Gali would lead to uh, production cuts, uh, rerouting of its traditional routes and a potential change in product mix. There's also the potential for exports from Belarus to move from the port of Klaipeda in Lithuania, where they currently export the um, majority of uh, its potash from, to Russian ports such as Usluga, St. Petersburg uh, or Primorsk. But the sheer volume of potash exports through those ports will make that challenging, not to mention the higher logistical costs and the distance that the alternative route would lead to. So, uh the sanctions themselves will will have complex geopolitical implications as well, and it's difficult to foresee all of the many outcomes of sanctioning Belarus Gali. So it's it's not an easy decision for the EU or the US. Mm. David, any thoughts on that? Do you think uh, there'll be implications for Belarus's target markets? I guess they, of course they would be uh, blocks out of EU and European markets. Where where would the alternative markets be? Yeah, so I think it's it's interesting if if you look at where kind of Belarus Gali exports and exports through BBC at the moment, it does send a, a decent proportion of it its total into into the US and into the EU as well. Um, 
and those would be the markets that would obviously be affected by these sanctions. So the first target I think you'd have to look at would be Brazil, because if it's locked out of the US and the EU as, as two granular markets, that is really the largest granular market remaining. Um, that's somewhere where demand has been good this year, but how much of kind of BPC's excess could be absorbed into Brazil would be interesting to see how much they were they would be rerouting there. Um, and if they're not looking at Brazil alone, then the other area would be Asian markets. So we think the the kind of Southeast Asian spot market has a lot of potential. There's also if you look into the contract markets a bit more. So BPC was the first to agree with both China and India on contracts this year. Um, and China especially presents an opportunity where it, it could be mutually beneficial for BPC and China if BPC is looking to offload tons. Um, China still has that $247 a ton CFR contract price, which is very low compared to, to prices elsewhere. So it's having to attract as many additional tons as it can. And if BPC is looking for somewhere to place additional volume, China might be a market that's very receptive to that. Um, Do you think that means that, that Belarus colleague could maintain our current production or planned production wouldn't be affected by, uh, by, by the sanctions? Would it carry on with its current investment plans or would those likely be affected? So, so on the production side, it would probably cut back a little from from the kind of 12 million ton a year level it's been operating at um, for the past couple of years because that's been quite a high operating rate for it so we could just see some some kind of extended maintenance outages maybe but i wouldn't expect large production cuts from from belarus Kali this year despite the sanctions um on the investment side we are looking at their kind of Petrikov mine plan, which is due to to come to market kind of later this year or early next year. Um, and it's it'll be interesting to see what approach they do take with that, because they could continue the investment and in fact ramp it up if the cost position at that mine is better than it, its other existing mines. Or we could see them potentially defer that project, which has already been delayed once from 2019 to now on its kind of estimated completion date. We could see that kicked a little bit further down the road. Um, but I think in terms of the the kind of earlier stage projects, the the likes of the early investment they've got at Darasinski, that's something that we would see probably deferred a little bit more if, um, if their kind of cash flow was threatened by these sanctions. Mm. Okay, let's let's look let's look at the impact on on sanctions for other producers. Uh, Ewan, what do you think could be the impact more more broadly for the potash market, especially other suppliers, uh, when we see those tons from Belarus potentially aimed at Brazil and Southeast Asia and China, as you described? Yeah. So, I mean, if the EU, the US, and and potentially some some other countries such as Norway, Australia, and New Zealand all stop buying MO, MOP from Belarus Kali, then we will have a split basically between places where Belarus Kali distributor BPC can sell to and areas where it cannot sell, which will lead to a rapid reshaping of their distribution network. It will also lead to higher MOP prices in those countries that support sanctions. And potentially BPC may have to dump large volumes in other countries, which could conceivably lead to a drop in prices or a slowing of price increases. So we could see a decoupling of global potash prices into 
two broad categories, sanctioning and non-sanctioning countries. The EU and US sanctions may have unintended consequences too. There's a risk that countries involved in sanctions will be at a disadvantage uh, cost-wise to the rest of the global market, which needs to be considered. Food security uh, around the world is obviously paramount. Um, and it's a delicate period coming out of a global pandemic anyway. So sanctions must not disrupt food supply either because there needs to be enough potash in the market to supply global needs. Otherwise, potash will only be available at prohibitive prices to some countries as the supply shortfall leads to spikes in prices. That obviously presents opportunities, of course, for other producers, though. Um, and we think that the uh, Canadian producers have the biggest advantage in this particular situation, uh, I think. Is that right, David? Mainly because of the extra idle capacity that they have. Yeah, so it's the combination of the Canadian producers are really the only ones, and especially Nutrin, who have kind of capacity that's not really being used at a high rate at the moment. Um, and they're also the main supplier to the US market, which is where we think these sanctions would bite and we would see prices rise. So you'd have the Canadian producers, um, K plus S, who's operating in Europe and also Canada would be would be well placed. Um, the other Russian producers may be able to benefit from sales into Europe at a higher rate. Um, and on the flip side of the coin, really, it would kind of be the Middle Eastern producers who might be exposed to more risk from this uh, because they send a large proportion of their tons into Asia. And if BPC is looking to offload and dump tons there, we might see some kind of suppressed prices in that region. Yeah, so 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 producers who could who could dial up production uh, like Nutrient could benefit from a greater market access. Um, uh, so. With, yeah, we certainly could see some reorganization of, of supply relationships. I wanted to talk about uh, one of the hot topics from the last podcast, um, turning to Asia. It was the contract agreements between China and India, where you'd said that they'd been agreed at levels below market prices, uh, where you thought they, they could have been. And of course, market prices, spot prices are now even higher. Um, what's happened since? Can you, can you give us an update on what, what the situation is now? Yeah, so um, very briefly, a lot of lot of the excitement around contract prices has, has died down now and the market's ah. broadly moved on, I would say. Um, there were rumours of China changing the contract price uh, of $247 a tonne CFR to lift it to levels closer to India's amended contract price of $280 a tonne CFR. But we think it more likely that contracts have concluded for the current period and China received lower volumes from suppliers than it needed because of the low price. So another round of contracts this year is on the cards, probably in the fourth quarter. Spot markets and contract prices have little relation to each other right now, as we've seen a rapid run, um, as you mentioned, Tim, on, on spot prices. So there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a disconnect now between the, the contract prices and, and, the, and the relative spot markets nearby. Uh, yeah, David, anything to add on the contracts negotiations? Do you, do you agree with you? And we're going to probably see, we see some, we don't see those being renegotiated anytime soon. Yeah, so our current uh, forecast for it is, as you said, the fourth quarter for China especially. Uh, I mean, that's obviously a little bit dependent on what happens with BPC and whether there's kind of additional tonnages agreed there. 
Uh, India, because it's renegotiated, renegotiated to that 280 uh, a ton CFR price, that's got a bit more um, interest from suppliers, which might hold off that, the contract agreement there into early 2022. Um, but otherwise, yeah, that's really when we expect the new round of contract prices to come in. Mm. Yeah, and you, you, you pointed to spot markets and how different they are currently to the contract levels. Uh, and it really has been, uh, there's been a lot of activity in, in the spot markets. What's been driving the, the recent surge? And do you, do you think it'll continue? Uh, the, the continue? Will there be continued strength in this sort of out of season time of the year? What's behind what's going on? Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting question. And it's an interesting point, Tim, that you, you mentioned it's sort of out of season. So these these price jumps are a little um, unusual just in terms of the timing. But I think it's a cocktail of factors, really. Demand for MOP in both the US and Brazil have been helped along by strong crop fundamentals, high planting acreages, high crop prices. Um, affordability of potash is still good. Um, and we have tightening supply, particularly for granular MOP, which has given producers more opportunity to pick high price locations in some cases for their MOP sales. So that's already structurally the, the situation on the on the potash markets. Then, of course, any news that lends itself to a reduction in supply, like the situation in Belarus, or the recent news that Mosaic's SAZK1 and K2 mines have closed early, um, compounds an already jumpy market and, and you get this surge of forward buying in expectation of ever higher prices. Um, David, in terms of how long we expect prices to rise, I would say that the way things look today, we can expect no significant reductions in prices for the rest of the year. But I don't know. We haven't checked in on this recently, so I'm not sure what you think. Yeah, so I think. I would agree with you on that. Um, and I think for me, what we're also seeing from the supply side is there's no easy option to to kind of ease the tightness in the market. Um, there aren't that many projects that we're forecasting to come online this year. It's really kind of ICL's Spanish consolidation. And we've already discussed the potential delays to Belarus Carly's Petrogold mine. So there's not a lot of new capacity that we have in, in our kind of short term pipeline. Uh, and the other lever that suppliers would have would be if they could tap into uh, any inventory buildup. But what we saw last year was inventory that had been built in 2019 was really sold quite heavily in 2020. So it seems like a lot of producers started the year with relatively low stocks. Um, I mean, particularly notable was Eurocarly. They only produced 11.3 million tonnes compared to selling 12.7 million tonnes last year. QSL also sold a, around a million tons more than it produced because of, of the tightness of the market in China last year. Uh, and ICL as well has had kind of a year end inventory drawdown because of disruption to their, their mine operations in Spain. So they've relied heavily on, on inventory to, to keep their output commitments going. So all of that, I would agree with that we are in for a kind of an extended period of quite high prices because of that market tightness and because there's no easy lever for uh, the suppliers to pull to to rapidly bring additional tons to market. Yeah, I guess I guess we, we're seeing because we're seeing uh, multi-year highs just currently on potash prices, there must be some producers that are wishing they'd kept some inventory back. Um, 
I, I presume when they were in that uh, situation last year, you described where they they thought they were getting uh, the best terms they could really, so they they took advantage. But um, this this strength is um, unexpected, unexpected, and uh, therefore we have to see what suppliers can do to respond. Uh, David, I wanted to ask you, looking longer term, uh, the are there projects that can be accelerated by by the current price environment? Do you think projects will move faster? Is there a particular project that you have that you uh, that you look at particularly closely because it have a uh, a big role in the longer term supply situation? I know that BHP and uh, Nutrien have been reports to be discussing some kind of uh, some kind of deal to do with Janssen. Uh, tell us about longer term project activity. Sure. So really the two things that we're monitoring, one of them is Eurochem's ongoing capacity expansion and growth. And, and it'll be interesting to see whether they do accelerate that in the current price environment, um, because early in the year we weren't expecting much growth from the Usal Sky mine, which is the one that's already operational. Um, and the second mine at Volga Kali, we were expecting to stay in test production. So it'll be interesting to see if they do accelerate that and they bring more tons to market. But really, this this kind of BHP Janssen story um, is very impactful for our more medium term forecasting. So we're currently projecting that will come in in the middle of the decade. Um, but basically, BHP now considering Nutrien as a potential partner on its Janssen project does alter the way that we view that somewhat. So we have had that project in our forecast for a while but it, it does improve the the outlook for the project some ways if if there was a partnership between these two um for bhp they they get kind of access to to nutrients experience which is is invaluable in that area they don't have to compete so much on on the marketing front especially if they they align with campertex and they're kind of incorporated into that um sales and distribution framework and that means they can bring the mine to market progressively without having to set up their own infrastructure network to start with. So some of the capital costs that we still expect for that project are, are the likes of kind of uh, a new poor development, which hasn't been finalized yet. But if it was cooperating with Nutrien, it could probably use Nutrien's ports on the kind of west and east coast of Canada to, to distribute and get cash flow before um, having to invest in a port on its own. And then on the other side of that partnership for Nutrien, um, it's beneficial because it just reduces the amount of competition that it would be seeing in that kind of medium term section of our forecast. So the potash market being oligopolistic, you have very few suppliers in there, and that's what allows prices to stay relatively high because there's this kind of lack of um, different producer options. So in the same way that we're seeing Belarus Carly slipping at the moment, and there's not that many people who could replace them. BHP, if they came in as a separate entity, would compete with Nutrien and would have a similar kind of cost profile to Nutrien. But if they're they're coming in and they're cooperating, it, it's likely to be a more measured approach. Nutrien typically prioritizes price over volume. Um, so really then in the same markets, they they would be cooperating. And that's something that we would expect to see prices supported at higher levels in our, in our kind of medium term forecast. So it's it'll be very interesting to keep monitoring that situation and, and see what, if anything, does come out of it. Because 
depending on whether BHP goes into this alone or whether BHP goes into this with Nutrien. I think the the kind of outlook and the impact in, in our longer term forecasting would be quite different. Yeah, no, that's it's really an interesting dynamic to, to think about. And also the other thing I find fascinating is I guess when BHP conceived of the project you could see you know agriculture and, and food production was was a was a global priority of course it still is but one of the one of the new things coming up the agenda is electrification and battery metals and and you you know you could kind of understand bhp um shifting its focus potentially or it's it's um you know it's it's resources towards towards um, projects that are uh, more in line with battery metals and therefore uh, you know, a deal with nutrient um, to reduce its exposure to to the to potash might, might make sense yeah so it's shown an interest in this in the fertilizer sector and going into this sector before but as you say the investment here would have to compete with its other business assets and it's a, a kind of diversified miner so it will invest where it sees the best return um, but this might be a way for it to continue to um, enter that market where it sees long-term growth potential but with lower exposure at the moment when as you say its other business interests are, are really going from strength to strength. Mm. Well, uh, thanks, David. Thanks, Ewan. We've come to the end of the time we have today, uh, but we, we had a period of real volatility in, in potash prices. And um, so we continue to to follow follow the markets closely. And please get in touch with either Ewan or David if you have any questions. Um, if, you, if you're a subscriber to Argus Potash, the market report, or Argus Potash Analytics, please download the reports from Argus Direct. Uh, that's our delivery platform, or you may receive them on email. And the latest quarterly issue of Argus Potash Analytics was published at the end of May, so it's fresh. Um, if you're not a subscriber, please get in touch with uh, your account manager if you're an Argus customer, or, co- or visit the Argus Media website for more information about how to subscribe. We'd love to have you on board. If you did enjoy the discussion today, then please like, subscribe, subscribe or follow us uh, on whichever platform you use for your podcast so you get alerted to the next episode and we can keep you up to date until next time goodbye